You're listening to The Blend. Drum and bass interviews for Lowering Theory. With the Reverend Kathy Russell. This is Reverend Kathy Russell, and you're listening to The Blend. My next guest is from Sydney, Australia, and has been in the drum and bass scene for many years. When he isn't producing, he contributes to the scene as a DJ and as owner of the popular site dnbbeats.com. With releases on dispatch recordings and transference and more, Bill Kang has established himself as a force to be reckoned with. This is the Low End Theory interview with Dauntless. Hi, Bill. Hey, how you doing? Doing Ooh. great. So um, I always like to start off by asking, uh, you're from Sydney. What is the scene like in Sydney? Mm, interesting. Great question. I think the scene in Sydney is strong, uh, fractured, though. Uh, a little bit, I think it's typical. The scene in Sydney would be a typical scene, I think. Um, not a typical UK scene, obviously, but just a typical scene in a big city. So we've got plenty of different styles. They're all represented. Um, obviously, the more popular styles, aka, say, the hospital style, the hospital liquid, or um, jungle right now at the moment is pretty big. The, the real kind of RAM style, the metrics. Mm-hmm. Um, the Wilkinson styles, they're really, really big. And um, we, we normally get, I say, between 100, 300, but we can fill out like some big scenes, like when hospitality comes to Sydney. They can be between seven hundred and a thousand pretty easily there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we've we've got a very healthy scene. There's always been a drum and bass event on. Probably there's one on probably every weekend. Oh, nice. Most of the time. Yeah, yeah, and that's every weekend, every weekend. Um, so fifty two obviously during the year, and most of the times there's two. So, and sometimes there's three. So we've wow. always had a very healthy scene. Yeah, always very big healthy. Scene. Yeah, but just little pockets, right? So, you know, it, I, I obviously I'm on dispatch. Um, we'll get anywhere between, say, 80 and, say, you know, 150 or something like that. You mm-hmm. know, and sometimes go out to a bit more. So, obviously, the more techier stuff is a little bit lower and then uh, the more commercial stuff is a bit bigger. But that's, a, that's the way it works. Now, I noticed that you were part uh, in your bio. Uh, it mentioned that you were a member of Haunted Science Events. So, does that mean that you do events as well? Yep, definitely. My wife, Felicity, she's been running events for probably close to 25 years now. She's from um, Brisbane and Adelaide, where she was really successful there. Um, so she's been campaigning or doing promos for a very, very long time. Um, so she brought like Loxie to Sydney a lot. Um, awesome. Conflict, conflict, everybody, you know. Um, in fact, when she moved to Sydney, we were what we were the first our first gig together was bringing Andy C to gig. To oh, nice. Him. Go big or go home, yeah. as they say here. Yeah. Yeah. And so he came and played a few nights before New Year's, actually. And so we all kind of didn't think it was going to work out. But she said, you know what, this is going to work out. And it worked out and it was absolutely massive. So, you know, yeah, she she got a ton of experience there. So I obviously got to um, tag along, learn a lot about it. Um, watch her operate and uh, she's amazing at it and picked up a lot of things that I never thought would uh, would would uh, actually be very important actually in the scene which is networking oh yeah <laughs> yeah yeah I was never a big networker I was very naive when I came into drama bass scene I just thought you know 
like probably most naive people i thought you just have to have some pretty cool songs and then you could do really well and then um but she definitely showed me that you got to network people you got that's how the world works and yeah uh definitely proved that to me for sure well and that's what's so magical about the internet now in terms of drum and bass especially during the time of covid when we when we were forced into it even more which is the networking that online i mean the way that you know that i've got a you know working relationship with sal that does the mix series part of this that you uh did a uh, show for which is on soundcloud by the way you know i'm in texas you're in sydney uh, mm-hmm. you know, and it, because of that, we were, we've been able to really build that worldwide culture more in networking, I think, uh, d- would you agree? Yeah, definitely. The internet has made, you know, the, the, the ability to just reach out and speak to your favorite producer, just instantaneous. It's crazy. Like you would, you could never, if, you know, imagine this 20 or 30 years ago, you couldn't just reach out to your favorite DJ producer. Correct. On, on Instagram message or, or on a Facebook message, you couldn't do that. You would send a letter, right? Or you'd right. send something, you know, you would call them if you got their cell phone number or whatever. But like, it's pretty, it's pretty crazy right now at the moment what you can do. Um, and it's most people, it's uh, obviously there's the other side of it too, right? There's the, you know, some people don't want to be bothered still, but generally you can go and find someone to talk to from yeah. the other side of the world. Amazing. I would say that's Amazing. been my experience as well is that, you know, yeah, there's like 20% that aren't very approachable, but I mean, 80% are, if it's something that you think is worth their time, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, usually they agree, you know, and at least give you the time of day. So uh, I would absolutely agree with that. Yeah. Absolutely. I found most people that I've spoken to or networked with are very pleasant, very nice people. So we're blessed with that, which is good. Nice. Awesome. Hence, hence why we're doing this, right? <laughs> absolutely. So um, are you still actively doing events or have you been mostly focusing on producing right now? Yeah. So for the last few years, we've kind of like definitely backed off a little bit from doing the events. Um, my wife's going through a little bit of a uh, career change as well while she focuses on a couple other things. Um, and then the lockouts, we had some lockouts in Sydney, which were very difficult, which is just kind of like after one, one o'clock or one thirty a.m. in the morning, you would get kicked out. You would have to be asked to leave or you couldn't come back into a lot of clubs. Oh, um, yeah. Because and of COVID? Then, no, this was just before COVID, um, but really it was just another tactic used by the government to just really kind of basically just to sell off kind of like half of the district where we like the club, like oh, the party. Oh, yeah. So it was like, yeah, under the ruse of, you know, look, you know, there's too many people hanging around fighting and people getting in trouble and, you know, violence, et cetera. So in the end, they kind of enforced these lockouts for our safety once again. And um, so we've lost a ton of clubs. And then, of course, out of there on the back of that, COVID happened as well. Majority of the clubs shut again. Anyway, what was left, mm-hmm. we kind of moved to warehouses, which is really cool. Like warehouse partying is pretty cool. Yeah. But the with warehouse party is, is they knew that and then they started to like really put up the prices on on their rentals and so you know you mean the warehouses kind of, started charging a lot more yeah like loads more oh, you wow. know they started 
Yeah, they started saying stuff like, well, if you guys are going to use our venue, you know, we you need to pay for extra insurance just in case something happens and blah, 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 blah. And, um, you know, even though the cops could come to the warehouse and basically shut it down at any time, um, it was still illegal. And, yeah, so we didn't want to be a part of that, even though it was really cool. Yeah. Like it really brought us back to partying, like, you know, from a long time ago. Where yeah, it does it was- remind me of, I mean, at least around here, 1995, you know, that type of era when it was where you could get away with a lot more warehouse stuff for sure. Yeah, just smoke, hang out, drink whatever you want, you know. Uh, do whatever you want. No, I had not have, you know, any overly aggressive bounces like over your shoulder looking at you, you know, asking you what you're doing or trying to kick you out. Um, really dark, you know, smoky. <laughs> yeah. Really cool. It was, it, it was, it was, it's always really cool. Dusty. Yeah. It's always really cool. Warehouses are great. Yeah, they are great. great. But then, yeah. But they really did take advantage of everyone, you know, because, hey, that's what happens, doesn't it? Yeah, we're having a tough time here in Austin because Austin is a very popular city, and the re- the rent has gone up quite a bit just for renting out those commercial spaces. And just out of necessity, our venues are having to charge quite a bit, and it's been tough to find. So, and then we've yeah had COVID as well, where a lot of places closed. So yeah, we're yeah. going through a rebuilding on our side here. Yeah. Are you uh, performing out? Um, strangely, I'm, I'm performing three times this month, which is very odd for me. That's normally like how many times I perform out a year. Um, oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> uh, once you reach a certain level, I feel I've spoken to so many other DJs, uh, producers about this. Sometimes when you, um, outgrow your scene, um, you tend to lose a lot of gigs, mainly because, uh, you, outprice yourself a little bit so basically they can't afford you to to book you in your own city anymore um you know and which is yeah totally understandable but then at the same time you know uh as you probably have in your own city right you end up having to the people who put on the parties you've got a network and we just spoke about that too if you're not networked with those people then you're not going to get gigs either so yeah it's it's kind of i understand it as well from a from a money perspective because like, why would they want to book me and then um, pay me my money and then it'll probably blow out their night in terms of whether they can break even or not? Yeah. So, you know, I'm not definitely bringing in, you know, an extra 80 people in a night. <laughs> so I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty, uh, you know, realistic about how many people I'll bring through the door for my own self. I, I, I think that it's very common, I, I, especially, especially since... I speak to so many producers and it's all the mm-hmm. same, everybody, you know. So I don't know who's coming out of Texas, um, but they probably say the same thing. <laughs> I think. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Do you enjoy playing out? I do. Actually, I do. I do. The strangest thing is I actually really do enjoy playing out. I enjoy A, I enjoy playing out. B, because I enjoy playing music to watch people dance to my music. Yeah. Testing out my new music as well, definitely. Um, you know, obviously playing my style of drum and bass, more my taste. I enjoy people enjoying that too. So giving them something mm-hmm. new to listen to, um, expand their maybe musical vocabulary a bit as well. But um, yeah, so but I'm not because I'm 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 a bit of an older uh, D&B head. When did you get involved with drum and bass? Well, I got involved uh, around twenty years ago. Uh, okay. Just before I turn 30, I'm nearly turning 50 soon. To, I feel like if, to get some gigs in your own um, 
your own state, you, a lot of people feel inclined to go off to all the parties every weekend and support and, you know, yeah, you know, get your uh, drum and bass coffee card, you know, stamp, you know. So, oh, yeah. I Bill, would agree with that. Room. Even just definitely throwing events. You, I, I keep saying that to my crew when, when we do do events is, you know, I'm like, you know, we can't just hand out flyers or, you know, we can't just put stuff online. It's like we you got to go to where they are. You know, you've got to go to those other events, go on, yeah. on their turf, yeah, so you, to speak. <laughs> you got to try everything. I mean, it, it's so difficult. People are so fickle these days with parties, mm-hmm. um, you know, whether it's the weather in Sydney or whether or not it's like you might put on a party and it's, we're kind of like obviously a long way from the rest of the world. So if we book a, um, a DJ from England, for example, you know, it's a, it's a huge airline flight. But then, uh, so mm-hmm. if we don't have, say, we know how many people we need to break even uh, for that party, um, but we've had it, bad bad uh, weather, boom, no one shows up. Oh, uh, man. You know, or, or it's just like, hey, no one's here tonight, and then you find out, oh, yeah, you know, it was so-and-so's birthday party, so, you know, 50 people went to that instead. <laughs> oh, yeah, that sounds like kind of like our scene here, yeah. So yeah, it's completely typical. It's it's fine. It's just the way it is. We you, you put on, uh, especially my wife because she's done it for so long. She put on parties because mm-hmm. she really enjoys putting on parties for people. Mm-hmm. Like that's like what's in her bones. And so you know that's that's a cool thing. And they, I feel like yeah, the promoters are definitely the heroes of the music scene uh-huh. because, because they take all the risk sometimes. You know, like, for example, sure. they're paying for the DJ to come. They're going to be paying for the, the club, uh, especially mm-hmm. if there's a bar tab, uh, things like that, you know. So I got in. I got involved. When I got involved, I started to understand all that. And then I started understanding some of the, the logistics of it all, which is, you know, who's going to go pick up the DJ from the airport, taking him to, oh, yeah. to the hotel room, right? And then he's going to go out and he's got to get lunch and dinner, et cetera, and then, might need to be taken somewhere else, et cetera. And so it ended up being like opened my eyes to all the other little things that you need to do. And mm-hmm. um, and it's a lot, right? It's like, it is a lot, yeah. Were you ever the person that uh, that took them around? Is there anybody in the scene that, that surprised you that turned out to be like really cool or? You know, they're, they're all really cool. Like we generally, mm-hmm. that's what I, I mentioned before, most, most DJs and producers are really, really nice. We rarely, rarely, rarely ever. I couldn't even tell you who, who was an awful person to be around. I can't think of anybody. So, and, you know, why not, right? They're on holidays. They're visiting a nice country. So everyone's normally pretty cool. we got good food here, et cetera. So. You're on uh, Dispatch. That's Antic One's label, correct? Yep. If I'm not. And uh, now he got his start on Pirate Radio. Did you all have Pirate Radio there growing up? Or was that no. just a European thing? Definitely a European thing, yeah. And I kind of wish that we did have some pirate radio here. And what would it? What would it? How would it change our scene? Um, mm-hmm. But no, we don't have any pirate radio here, unfortunately. But we do have. I mean, we do have. Like, in fact, one of the earlier times that I do remember, one of the offshoot, so like non-main radio stations. I used to tune in every Monday night to radio station called Two Shoutouts to Two SER. And I just used to just listen to the hour or two hours of drum and bass that they used to do every Monday night. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, it was really cool. And the cool thing was that the the, the hosts on the show were really knowledgeable. So they would always 
tell us stories. They'd always tell us, obviously, the artist, the label it was on. They would tell us other little things maybe, you know, like say, mm-hmm. optical, you know, was brothers with Matrix or, you'd, you know, you'd hear a funny story about some other English guys, you know. So yeah. I felt like it was I was learning a lot more about about the music just from from that. So when I go to a record shop or when I go shopping for records, I'd be like, it's that label I want to I want to grab. It's that guy I want to grab, et cetera. So it just, yeah, it really helped buzz me to keep it going in, in the scene, which is really cool. And they were cool guys because eventually I met them all. They were lovely. Now, now you have the, a new release on, on Dispatch, Shortcuts with NC-17. I noticed you have some other releases on Dispatch as well. Did you seek out that label from that history or was it just kind of that was just the right fit it was a right fit but i loved i loved uh me and me and Anne are, are, are very close friends which is really cool and we taught him a few times which is once again a whole the whole networking thing mm-hmm. obviously one of my early heroes uh, in drummer bass were artists like survival octane and dlr brilliant and um they obviously released mm-hmm. a lot on dispatch and so for me especially when I was in the scene, it was just like, I need to be on this label. I need to be releasing on the same labels as Octane and DLR and Survival, et cetera. And so obviously touring Anne at the time, a few times, it was just like I had the opportunity to just say, you know, hey, you know, check out some songs, right? And I was quite lucky that, well, I was specifically was making music to go on that label. So yeah, I was kind of reaching out for Mm -hmm. it because I feel like, a lot of people kind of don't see that aspect of writing music. So if you write music, it's okay to have a, to have a place where it's going to go because I've been there at times when I write music and it's so new. I've, I've written music with some friends and it's so new mm-hmm. that you like go, where is this going to go? <laughs> and then you Oh, I see. Because it's so new. We, 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 me and my a friend of ours, we were making some hybrid kind of dubstep stuff, um, drum and bass dubstep stuff, and we had no idea. And it's you know, it's still very fresh today, but we got caught out because it was just like, wow, this is going to going to absolutely go nowhere because there is no label who's going to sign <laughs> it. You know? Um, oh yeah, no! That's the, the way, yeah, yeah, I it's see just what the you way mean. it goes because at the end of the day, it's a business, right? So they want to release someone, a label wants to release some music for the benefit of you. And so they can, you, the people get good music, but at the same time, they don't want to release and lose money. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, I, uh, I mean, I'm a music teacher and an electronic music teacher at that. And I tell people, my students all the time, it's okay to know exactly what label you want to release on because then that shapes your music that you will make you know if they don't release music with guitars on it don't put guitars on your music then if you want to be on that label you know <laughs> uh, that's just yeah. that's just you getting to know the label really well and uh, getting to understand how the music industry works right and you know later on you can release as many songs as you want with guitars in it <laughs> if you that's really good advice I, I never thought of it that way before so that turned out to be a good fit and that obviously that release is out. Is there anything coming out that you can yeah, talk about? Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, the, the, the craziest thing with me is I had a, I've had, um, my first release was on Noisier, Noisier 
on Invisible. Um, mm-hmm. And so that was my first really big release. And no, the Noisy Guys are really close. Nice. Yeah, they're really close friends of ours. We've known them for an extremely long time. I've gone, stayed with them in, in Groningen for a lot. And we're very close friends. And so it was really lovely for me to finally release on their their imprint because for years they'd seen me struggle with music production because it was like definitely the biggest challenge in my lifetime. And so they were very, very happy. I was like blown away when they said, yeah, we'll, we love this song. We love to release it, which was Geomancy. And then I had, uh, then quickly after that, I had my commercial suicide release and then a dispatch release, which was really nice. Yeah. But then I kind of hit a bit of a lull where I only wrote a couple of songs here or there per year, only because, like, to be honest, like the level of drum and bass had just got completely ridiculously high. I had a lot of self-doubts about my own ability. I started moving into teaching music and it was really, really difficult. So fortunately for me, he just totally believed in me with that whole time and he was willing to wait um until i was very happy with the music that i was releasing yeah so a lot of the um stuff that came out the album was like really quick with me and peter we wrote that really super fast what would you define as super fast uh, like we could we could write the one track in one day which was no problem i mean nice so that was that was pretty easy but i i, I to be honest i had a, a lot of practice because me and current valley wrote our ep in like about a week because he's just mm-hmm. he kind of He's just next level German precision. <laughs> so with 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 uh, Tim, I there was one time with Tim, I gave him a song and he finished it, and then he finished two more of his own songs, and then he half started a new track. So in one one day, wow. uh, he'd basically done nearly three four songs. <laughs> so he's he's wow. quick. He's quick. So he set the bar pretty high. <laughs> No kidding. Yeah. So we had that EP. Then I had my, my uh, Departures EP, which did really well. And then the Shortcuts one. And then I got three more EPs on Dispatch coming out. Dispatch 190 uh, is the next one coming out. Um, it's just at the artwork stages, but the mastering's done. And then I got a couple more after that. So the year is pretty much done in terms of releases. We just got to wait for the final dates actually because all the mastering is pretty pretty much done so yeah there's a lot coming but it's like anything else right like once you get good at something you get faster at doing it sure know what i mean but uh, you know i've i've kind of like got a new it job so i need to do some uh i I got a little bit of a career shift music has always been like a serious hobby but that's okay i don't need Mm -hmm. all the the time that i do need I, i did need before because I'm a lot quicker at doing it now. So a lot of music in the future is still to come for sure. But thank, thankfully thankfully for me, I can write a song faster because I was a pretty slow Well done. It, it, it takes some mastery to get to <laughs> that point. Tell me about, uh, about your production. Now, you were telling me that you use Ableton. Did you always use Ableton? Is, is that your DAW of choice? Uh, no, I didn't start off with Ableton. I started off with the good old Cubase. Yeah, nice. yeah, which I had endless amounts of difficulty with. That was partly part of my problem, I think. But it is blank canvas. I just didn't do what I wanted it to do. I, or I couldn't do what I wanted it to what I wanted to do with it. Mm-hmm. Endless frustration, but also so much detail, attention to detail. So 
you could get stuck down a rabbit hole in Cubase. Um, and then that that was part of the reason why I didn't write so many songs in the early beginning. And then strangely, a friend of mine I was working with, he, he introduced me to Ableton and then we wrote a track that night with it. Um, and I was like, wow, wow, nice. this is quick. This is... This 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 program gets us right. Cubase was created um, like the old school DAWs where they would record stuff, uh, record bands and you know whatnot. So it wasn't really geared for electronic music um, producers. And I felt like Ableton that was a strength. You know, working with loops, the sampler, and so yeah. Then now it's just been Ableton. I I actually know all the DAWs on a Pro Tools, Reason, uh, Studio One. Cubase, Bitwig, um, I've dabbled in all of them. I see them all as like creative little tools and really interested a lot of different students use different Logic, for example. I used Logic for a while because it was on a, on a Mac. Nice. Um, and I used mm-hmm. to see it all the time in videos and I used to always be like, wow, that looks like such a cool program. And then um, so I used that for a while. But Ableton, I always came back to Ableton because it was like so quick with it. You know, I could I could bash out tunes really so fast, and it never got in the way of um, making music. The only time it doesn't do everything at the time, it didn't do a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, they've expanded it a lot over the years. I've noticed. They killed it. They've done so well. Like at times, I want to jump ship from Ableton all the time, and then it's not <laughs> Ableton. Believe me, it's me. It's always like, man, this. You know, it's me having a wind <laughs> or whatever. Um, but it's never yeah. – I, I, I tell students that all the time. It's like people, they'll go, oh, I'm going to leave this app because, you know, I'm going to leave this DAW because it's doing this. And I'm like, are you trying to make it do something that the way that you want it to do or, you you know, because you can't do that. A computer, a program, you've got to find out the way it wants to do it and then you've got to like mold yourself out to that way. Boy, it takes a long time to come to that realization yeah. too. And i gotta, I got to give Gigantor – from Evil Intent, like his prop. Because he yeah. told me that when I first. When we, Little US drum and bass. Yeah, thing. yeah. He told me that a long time ago because we taught him as well. And he was just starting off with Ableton as well. And he just said, hey, listen, this uh-huh. German program, if you don't think like a German when you're doing this, <laughs> you're going to run into some walls. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's just the way it is. You know, they think very methodically. They think very logically about stuff. I understood that. I, that actually took away a lot of my pain because, you know, I feel like young producers will do that at time. I need it to do this because I think in my head that it does, it does it like this. Two years later, they realize, no, that's not the way to do it at all. The way that, that you're supposed to do it is like this. And uh, it takes them a little while to get used to it. So, yeah, yeah it's good though. But I, I don't think I'll ever change from Ableton, to be honest. I've tried. I've, I've moved to AWS. Yeah, I've used I've, – I've uh, definitely tried lots of different programs. And I, don't, I mean, when it comes down to it, when something works, it works. And you should mm-hmm. just stick with it and still, you know, and stop complaining about it and just get on. And I find I, I'm procrastinating. If I'm like – if I'm like, oh, I don't know, you know, I'm finding I'm just procrastinating from making music, <laughs> which is, you know, very natural. Course, you know. Right on. But yeah, that's just me. Now, some people are really serious producers where they don't put like Facebook on that studio computer and things like that. Are you one of those people or it's just your computer's kind of all yeah, purpose? Yeah. And you were just mentioning that you uh, t- sometimes are procrastinating. So I was curious if uh, you try to keep focused. Yeah, that I, I look, I, you know, I'm pretty... Um, 
Focus is a really imp- important thing, I think, in music. It's I kind of put it down to mm-hmm. uh, song confidence. So when you have song confidence, you know that you can finish a song. You do, you don't nothing gets you in your way. I used to. I mean, I struggle so long with finishing music. Yeah. Uh, that I went through all these different phases. Right. I, I would blame it on me getting up out of my seat. Right. That I would blame it on that. Like oh. You, you didn't finish the song because you had to get up and go to the shops to buy food, right? Yeah. Um, or I had to take my wife to wherever, right? Blah, 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 blah. You know, take yeah. my dog out for a walk. I would blame it on that. No, it's not the truth. It's having, but le- learning later to finish music, having that focus, knowing what to do, the steps and everything else. That's when I got that, I realized I could go and walk the dog. It was fine. I know I'm going to finish. I was going to finish that song. I could go to the shops, come home. I know I can finish that song. Not a problem. Not one problem in the world. I could leave it for two days. I'll come back. I can finish that song. I can finish that song that afternoon if I wanted to. It's just that confidence that you have that you get from finishing lots of music. That's what you want. Yeah. It's it's that gives you that the 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 power basically because um, and it's comes only from problem solving, lots of different problems when you're writing songs because I believe when you're writing a song, it's a series of problems along the way and if you don't, you don't know how to yeah. finish one of them and you don't know how to get past that problem, then you're going to get stuck. Then you have to ask somebody, you have to go online, that just extends the process. Next minute you're watching cat videos, right? Yeah. That's what happens. <laughs> well, I was thinking about that the other day that music production is – you have to sort. You have to sort of have your brain in two worlds. The the technical, especially with electronic music, is the technical to to deal with those problems that you're talking about. You know, is the troubleshooting mm-hmm. part of it. And but then then there's the creative side. And I think when when I first started, I was getting I would get really discouraged with the with the technical side of it. Now I I do tech support for my day job, so I'm used to troubleshooting all the time. So it that I I totally agree with you and I've found that as well that once I get past the accept the troubleshooting part of it then I'm able to let the creative part flow a little bit yeah definitely 100% so once you got that side done then it's just a matter of going in really in with the creative side of it right and then the part of that is doing lots Mm -hmm. and lots and lots of music so and then that just takes time right so I think with anybody whether you're talking about from uh, Mozart all the way up to Skrillex, you know, every one of those artists wrote tons of music, tons and tons and tons of music, stuff that you'll never hear, obviously, but they 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 have done it. And, you know, I've got a huge bank of music that I didn't finish, I didn't, you know, that no one will ever hear except me. And um, that's the proof, right? That's the that's the the blood, sweat and tears of you just staying home every weekend, staying home every day. Uh, currently before I, I started doing what I'm doing now, uh, I started, yeah. we started to get up at 5 a.m. in the, every morning, right, to write music. So between 5 and 9, I would get up and I'd write music or 5 and 8.30 because I'd have to walk to wor- uh, work. And so I, I was mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm going to get an extra three hours of beats in every morning, right? So t- over, five, over five days, that's obviously 15 plus hours of music every week that I'm writing music and that's why I got a lot of work done during the last uh, 12 months because 
getting up early. Yeah, because if you if you go to bed, if you if I came home like a lot of people do, you know, around five o'clock, you're just tired. Yeah, you're too tired to make music. You know. Yeah. Um, but it's hard getting up early in the morning at first, but then after a while, you can do it. Five a.m. is no big deal. And especially when you're finished, when you're going through your day and you realize you did a big chunk of your music already, it makes you feel good. It makes you feel like you can go to bed really well and um, it's really nice. So, I, you know, it takes, it takes a while. I can see why you're a music teacher. You give great advice. Absolutely. Are you classically trained? Like, I mean, did you, did you take uh, like music through school or was it something that you picked up after you got into electronic music? I did. I went to college and I did a double degree in classical and jazz. So as my guitar as my major instrument. So yeah. And then I've moved into rock. I like rock and heavy metal. And then from there after college, I found electronic music and that's when, because I'd already did the band thing. Uh, that was quite sick. That was, mm-hmm. I mean, it was low level successful. It had, it had some legs, but I just wasn't very good with dealing with people. <laughs> uh, my band members sure. uh, were difficult, like most band members are. Um, and then uh, once I found electronic music, I was like, I can do this all by myself. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need you guys. I don't need you. Group project. Yeah, you know, I don't have to, I don't have to drive the drummer's drum kit. To the studio anymore because yeah, it was too lazy to get a car. So it was like, yeah, yeah, electronic music seemed pretty cool, and uh, so that's what I did. <laughs> well, you still came back because you've done collaborations with Current Value, with Ewall. I noticed with uh, obviously with NC Seventeen. So you still came back to the collaborations. Yeah, uh, look, I've come full circle with collaborations. I think they're amazing. I think I think mm-hmm. when you get a song and you put your input and the other person, you may not see eye to eye about that, but then they put something, their own spin on it, it can be something beautiful, right? And and I think mm-hmm. I really took that from the band because when you're in a band, well, like I was in a band situation, we, you know, we all wanted to be like Metallica, right? We're like, I'm just going to be like Metallica. Mm-hmm. And everyone had to like Metallica and I never – kind of saw the point of anyone not liking Metallica. Like, why would I even stuff? But then, but then uh-huh. when you look at bands like Rage Against the Machine and they help, they're all diverse and they like different things and that's way more powerful. That's way more powerful to me anyway, right? And so, and so yeah, when I join up with somebody like Current Value or Ewell or NC17, they all bring a different flavor. I don't write a song just me. It's just, you know, there's something kind of interesting in it as well. So, yeah, I really, really think writing with other people is really super important. Now, on shortcuts, did you, uh, when you collaborated, did you write like just certain parts, or did you work on it and then send it to him, and then he sent it back to you? He did some stuff and sent it yeah, back. It was, um, tell me a little bit about your your collaborative. It was really, for. really easy. Pete just basically, uh, Peter just makes it really super easy to work with. Send me the, all the stuff. He we figured he figured out a song that he liked that he thought I should collaborate on. In fact, it was always, it was uh-huh. n- nearly 99.99% of the time. I think it was actually 100% of the time Anne had already signed one of the songs anyway, all of them. So they were like to a oh. And then he sent them off to me and he basically said like, if you can make the song better, like go for it. And um, then he just gave me full camp blanche to just change whatever I wanted to change, take it in whatever direction I wanted to take it in. 
And then he would just, you know, at the end of the day, I'd send it back to him. He'd offer some suggestions. And then uh, all he wanted to do was do the artwork and keep the names of the songs. That's that's the only thing he wanted. And all I was right. like, okay, cool. Nice. I can live with that, you know. And, and see, yeah, that's, that's good to be open-minded. That's something that's really cool because... Like to some, to me, like I would never name some of the songs names that some of them are. Like the body bag mm-hmm. and you know Vertigo City and and uh, Giallo and all these other things. I'm like, what the hell are some of the you know some of these names? But he's got a story for all the microchip convention, etc. He's got a crazy story behind all these names, and some of them are from movies that he loves, etc. Oh yeah. And to me, I'm just like, that's so cool. Like I wouldn't name it that. But that's, I think that's kind of gives it heaps of character. And, and uh, why? Yeah. Absolutely. So why not? Let's just go for it. And so, you know, we can, we, we made that suggestion, uh, that deal. and we kept... So I I do like Home of the Body Bag. What's the story behind that name? Do you know? I, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Home of the Body Bag has been like uh, a crazy, I'm actually surprised. It's, it's on Spotify. People, it's, like the most played from the whole album, right? Um, like by yeah. three times as much. So it's just actually really, I'm actually blown away by how much it's been more, you know, played on Spotify. Now, the thing about that track is I mm-hmm. obviously like the track. I think it's, it, you know, I love all my tracks, but um, I never would have expected it to be, you know, like bigger than the other ones. Like for me, Microchip Convention or even uh, Devils or even, um, you know, Jello or all the other ones, I thought. Or even um, uh, Once a Warriors, I thought would be way bigger. Um, but then it's like, oh, the body bag. It's yeah. like, okay, that's that's really cool. You cannot pick. Yeah, that's you cannot pick what's going to like be, you know, what people really like or resonate with, which is really, I find really fascinating about music as well. So, yeah. So all of them have... Um, He's got like a, a, a stories about all of them, obviously. I mean, he's you can get him on yeah. here and you know, and you can you can get him into that. Um, but yeah, I know I they're his namings. I basically just took the songs uh from a finished well, finished state for him because they were ready signed and did my thing on top of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then all I had to do was just make sure that we both felt that it was better than the the, the track previous. So that was kind of like the the, the 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 strategy or the plan, the workflow that we had with that whole album, which was really cool. Which is why it came out. So we we just uh, worked on it really quickly, and um, that's took us by surprise because Ant had heard a couple of tracks and he thought, and then he heard a few more, and then we were like, okay, can we write a few more? Yeah, let's just write a few more, and then we wrote a few more, and they were really quick. And it's like, so Pete always says, like, you know. He, he really loves these collaborations where he gives these songs to people and then they finish the song or they make it better because he feels like it's cheating because he doesn't have to do anything anymore. He's like, oh, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I love giving you songs. Like, I love giving Phil songs. You know, you guys just finish it. It sounds great. It's like I'm cheating, you know, and it's like, you know, I get to sit back, put my feet up, you know, <laughs> relax. It's not completely a ghost producer. You do get credit. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, but you know he's got a, nice. He's got a crazy work ethic, right? He never just puts his feet up. He always making twenty billion songs, <laughs> songs a day. So, you know, he's he, he's someone that you know another grinder, right? He's just in there 
all the time writing music, you know, which is why he's written so much stuff recently. Crazy, crazy output. Now, when you go in and you sit down to write music, do you already have an idea of what you're going to write? Or do you just sit down and see what happens? Do you like an improvisational type Bo- Both, yeah. It's really both. Yeah, it's really both. I mean... Okay. Because, you know, art art is art, right? And uh, I, I get asked those yeah. questions all the time. So, excuse me. So some days it'll be like... I'm writing down, I want to write a happy song. Then a sad song comes out. <laughs> it's, it's like, okay, <laughs> we're, we're there, right? We're there. Um, but if you did sit down to write this, if you wrote, if you sat down to write the sad song, a sad song probably would never have come out, right? So you never know which way you're going to go, okay, unless it's specific, you know, like, hey, we really need this song to, to sound exactly like this. And then, you know, then that, that can happen. Um, it does take a bit of skill to to try that as well. I, I do that with my students. I'm like, okay, guys, everyone today, just do a sad song, you know. And then inevitably a lot of students go, this is actually really hard. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I know. <laughs> it's not easy. What age range do you teach? Um, I teach some type from 17 to – I've even taught people who are 60. So, yeah, people who were just like engineers. Um, uh, there was a – we had an Indian um, tabla player. As well, he, yeah, oh, he was nice. really amazing. He he was probably actually closer to sixty eight or something like that. So yeah, he was amazing. He was amazing, but you know, obviously an English barrier. But you know, just totally into making music. He just wanted to explore what he could do with different things. Um, lovely, lovely person to be around. Yeah, so very diverse, very wide range of students, um, all walks of life all trying different things, you know, um, and some wanted to be musicians and some just uh, didn't know what they wanted to do with their lives, but they just were interested in music. So, yeah, it's really cool. Nice. Uh, well, I noticed that you do get out. You, uh, I saw you going to some mixes at Sun and Bass. Does that mean that you've been performed at Sun yeah. and Bass? You've made yeah, it out yeah, that way? Yeah, yeah, definitely. One of my biggest um, things I wanted to do was play at that festival because we've played there many times. We've been there many times before. Clued is a really good friend of ours. Stefano um, is a really good friend of ours now from Sun and Bass and Martina. They both run it. Um, so luckily mm-hmm. for me, I mean, that to me is like, Sun and Bass is like the drum bass Olympics, you know. Such a such an, such an awesome yeah. week of music. And it's like every night is like a huge kind of festival night there, you know. And uh, it was a real honor to, to be able to play there um, for the commercial suicide night, which I was quite lucky. And, um, you know, yeah. I met so many lovely people there and there, I mean, everyone's always in a great mood there, but it's another great place for networking. Um, uh, it was my wife's birthday the other day, February 6th, but it's also oh, Duncan's birthday. birthday spirit. Uh, we became very good friends with spirit through Sun and Bass. And, uh, unfortunately he shares the same birthday as my wife. So rest in peace. Duncan. So, oh. You know, it, so it's always it's always a bit sad um, because we it's bit yeah it's definitely bittersweet definitely because you know he's he was taken way too soon so I mean he had so much more music to 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 give to the world so it was very unfortunate um, but yeah. uh, I we became really close friends with him from Sun and Bass so those are the types of things that you know we, I cherish about Sun and Bass too because it's People are lovely, obviously, and everyone's there, to, ready to have a really good time. 
but yeah, you know, yeah, and and why not, right? Why not? You're right by the beach, you're on some island in Italy, food's amazing, right. you know. Great food, food, weather's yeah. amazing, you know. So everyone's having a good time, and you know, there is lovely people there, lovely people there. Hey, you mentioned some of the things you have mm-hmm. coming out. Uh, are there any uh shout outs that you'd like um, to give? Yeah, definitely. Always shout out to my boy Peter NC17. There's uh, another little special project I'm a part of. Um, it's called The Ashes, we're called The Ashes. Now, that's got something coming out on Dispatch a little later on. Um, and some of my boys there, Craig, uh, Lloyd, and Sasha. Um, obviously, shouts out to my lovely wife, Felicity. Um, probably too many people, um, to be honest. Shout outs to Anne and Clute and, you know, everybody. If I get my phone out and, and CERN and Ewal, you said, and all the people <laughs> I've collaborated with, Josh. Um, I'm wearing, oh, you can't see, but I'm wearing a compound t shirt, which is some label. Uh, one of my friends, Joff, uh, he runs a label with some boys over in America. I think they're from Portland, Oregon or something. So shout out to those nice. guys. I've got something coming out from those guys in a bit. And um, yeah, yeah. I mean, if I've forgotten you, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, people. <laughs> shout out to Sal, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> How could I forget? Yes, absolutely, to our illustrious host. I don't want to miss him. He'll... You seen him? He'll be here. If you seen him, he's huge. He's been to Texas, hasn't he? Yeah, he's he huge. Is, he is, as we say down here, swole. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. swole. He crushed me <laughs> <laughs> in his palms. <laughs> he's a big boy. He's a big boy. Shout out. Love you. Love Absolutely. you, Doug. You have just listened to the Blend Low Terry Mix Series interviews with the Reverend Kathy Russell.